Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. I'm Zach Johnson, and with me as always is... Mitchell Hora, back in the Fieldwork World Headquarters up in the Twin Cities. Happy to be here today talking about cover crops. Um, this is going to be the first episode in a series that we're going to do, kind of a mini-series about cover crops. We're jumping straight into mini-series now. We've like escalated to a whole nother level already. I'm going to just bring this it all huge. back around to the helicopter issue. This is huge. This is, We're progressing. this is a big deal. We're progressing the Fieldwork podcast through way faster than anyone ever thought we would. Yeah, nobody's ever seen anything like this Gosh. before. Cover crops have been a really, I think, interesting topic throughout agriculture on their impact, not only to stop erosion and cleaning up the water, but holding nutrients. There's a lot to learn about them. Yeah, I mean, even as a farmer for me, who's never been able to personally make cover crops work, Cover crops are interesting. I want to make them work. I've got a ton of different ideas that I would love to make work using cover crops. So far, we've had nothing but but failures that have come from that. But there's a lot of opportunities out there. And I think the, the challenge is just figuring out exactly how to make those cover crops work with each operation. And, and not just even economically, but how do you make that work when it comes to getting the work done? And, and how do you work that into your operation to get the benefits from the cover crops that you want to see from those? I think the biggest thing is it boils back down to how do I logistically and economically implement a cover crop or just any new practices, but how can I actually implement and see some returns in the short term and in the long term? I'm excited to open up uh, some conversation here to be able to uncover some of that. Our first guest is known as the cover crop coach. So I think that's a great way to start here. Steve Groff, he's from out in Pennsylvania. He's been working on cover crops for a long time. We're going to talk with him over Skype. Steve, thanks for coming on. Hey, you're welcome. I am really excited to be on today uh, with a good group of, uh, of people here who are interested in the same thing I am, trying to uh, figure out how to farm in such a way that of course uh, ultimately affects our bottom line for the in a positive uh, way, but also that we can do this in a way that's environmentally friendly, kind of keeps everybody happy, and uh, we leave the soil in better condition than we found it. Yeah, that's really the key is figuring out exactly how we can be environmental in a good way and still at the same time be economical about the the choices we make. And and when I say economical, really I'm I'm talking about doing the right thing on your farm for your business. Cause I mean, farming is a business, right? So we've got to be economical with that. Cover crops have become a really, really hot topic, especially lately. You know, they, you can do tons of different things with cover crops. You can affect your soil structure, your water infiltration, control things like wind erosion, you know, nitrogen uptake, fixation, those kinds of things. And, but it doesn't come without some challenges. Yeah, so Steve, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you've been seeing, you know, um, in your role. Obviously, you get all over the place. What do you got going on here today and some of the things you've been seeing with cover crops? Well, I think we're the momentum is expanding, and that's worldwide. I mean, I've, I've been around uh, in the U.S. and Canada and Australia, Europe, and uh, it's, it's kind of amusing to me how 
those principles that we all hear about are the same worldwide, but boy, the, the application is, is literally worlds apart. And I tell people that, you know, when I come in to speak anywhere, I said, I'm not here to tell you how to farm. Honestly, I don't know how to tell you how to farm. You're going to have to figure some of this stuff out yourself. And, you know, people are kind of like disappointed to hear that. But the, the honest truth is you do have to figure it out by uh, on in your location, in your area. You got to band together with your your neighbors and uh, and people that you know and so forth. So uh, I think the thing that excites me the most, I won't spend much time on it now, but uh, we're starting to see some of the markets, uh, the markets that we sell to, uh, some of the big players out there, some of the larger corporations are starting to, I guess you'd say, look into how they can leverage crops that are grown using soil health principles uh, because it's a it's a marketing tool uh, in this day and age, and I see it as an opportunity. Uh, so we're going to have to change a few things uh, in the way we we look at this, and it, that's going to have to come down even in a national level from government policies. A lot of the government policies are roadblocks to success right now. And uh, I know I opened up a whole bunch of can of worms right there. Yeah, there's but, all uh, kinds of topics right there that we can right, go into. Right. And that, that so to I don't me- know which way you guys want to go on this, but, uh, you know, it is complex. I, I'm going to tell you that right up front. It's very complex. The principle of soil health and, and cover crops is simple. But the reality of how to make them work is very complex. Well, yeah. So we'll let's dig into that because, like you said, you know, going into – where the government and regulation comes involved, that's that's a totally different topic, and especially how regenerative ag or whatnot or soil health plays into General Mills and Land O'Lakes of the world and, and Walmart and all and McDonald's has been involved. That's a fully different topic. That that is where it gets really exciting. I know Steve, you and I, uh, that's where we, where both of us really get excited on the opportunities coming down the road. How do we start? As, as most of our listeners are going to be listening to this while they're planting their crops here this spring what do we need to be thinking about right now when it comes to starting with cover crops or trying a new idea with cover crops maybe that's interseeded cover crops whatever it may be what what's what do i what do i want to be thinking about as i'm driving my uh as zach is driving his fancy john deere planting his corn here what should he be thinking about well as you're as you're planting that corn and letting all this deer go and everything you start having everything under control in your field you can start thinking about, number one, what are you trying to accomplish on your farm with cover crops or with soil health? I'm just going to use cover crops and soil health interchangeably here because they kind of go hand in hand. What are you trying to accomplish? That is probably one of the most important questions to ask. Is it trying to keep your 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 soil from blowing away in the wintertime uh, when it's uncovered or so forth? Is it trying to make a little nitrogen if you can get legumes planted on time is it trying to save nitrogen and all of these things are 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 legitimate reasons but what are you trying to accomplish that's the first thing and then i'm going to follow up with what not too many people talk about but it's a principle that i think is going to be effective for a lot of people and that is to find a mentor someone who is essentially doing what you want to accomplish uh, that's the important part. Someone who is a, is doing what you want to accomplish on your farm. So figure out what you want to accomplish. Then look around. If you have a neighbor, man, you're set. That's awesome. If you have a neighbor who's been doing this and you thought he was really crazy for a while, you might think he's not so crazy after all now. 
uh, you might want to talk to him because then you have a similar climate and similar soils usually and so forth. If you don't have a neighbor, start going out from there. You go to meetings, you know, local meetings, regional meetings, national meetings. Find somebody who is doing what you want to accomplish. That's my top two steps in order to start going down this road to success. You're, you're saying that everybody needs their own cover cop coach. Ah, yeah, there you go. That's awesome. That's, that's well put. That's well put. Speaking of cover crop coach, uh, that would be you, Steve. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that and what exactly it is that you do? Well, I'm going to write a book about it someday, uh, but we'll synthesize that down here. Um, I started using no-till in 1982 just because of soil erosion uh, from winter from water. Uh, that's where I started, 1995. I asked a question at a conference, do cover crops pay? That was a sincere question I asked because I thought it was all about no-till. No-till was the answer, fellas. That's what we're going to do. We're going to no-till to save the planet. And, you know, why would you need cover crops after you no-till for a while? Well, uh, funny that, that I brought that up because that's still the number one question that people ask. So I started doing research with Dr. Ray Weil, University of Maryland in 95. And four years later, um, we had a drought and uh, we had where I had cover crops uh, planted and where I didn't have them planted on replicated strips. This was all scientific. So we're basically comparing cover crops versus no cover crops on the same, uh, the same treatment. So it was consistent. So we had these sections where we never planted cover crops. So we ran our, our corn, beans, and wheat through. Four years later, 1999, we had a drought. I had 28 bushels more of corn where I had planted cover crops the previous four years in those plots. That answered my question on my farm. I have never turned back since. Now I'm finding out, you know, all these other things that work. So uh, then Dr. Wild brought this radish to my farm and I developed the tillage radish out of that, developed a seed company out of that. I'm out of the seed business now, and I'm into coaching, which is my top passion. So the coaching means speaking uh, primarily uh, to a different event. And then also I have my cover crop innovators group where I have a live weekly webinar that every week I give this webinar that the members can uh, listen in. They can ask questions about a topic, you know, whatever topic happens to be that week. I got 96 of them done so far. Uh, so it's been almost two years. Um, and then we have a closed Facebook group where uh, the, the, those who are members of my group can uh, ask questions to each other and we can talk about stuff and I post uh, articles and so forth. So that's the uh, that's a short version, believe it or not, of, of of my cover crop coach role that I that I play right now. That's some really awesome stuff. So for someone like me who farms in West Central Minnesota, as I said, heavy clay soils, we're trying to grow good corn there. And we deal a lot with colder, wetter uh, weather patterns in the spring. What would your advice be to someone like me who's interested in getting into cover crops? Because to this point, I've experimented with it a few times and, and really just sort of thrown money down the drain so far. What would be some advice that you would have for someone like me to try to get into cover crops? And I suppose some of that's going to, of course, come back to exactly specifically what it is I'm trying to accomplish with that. Sure, but... You know, I'll just say you want to look into interseeding. Uh, I know it's been, they're trying it in Minnesota and different places and in your latitude. We're finding that to work best north of I-80, which clearly you are. 
uh, on more northern climates. Um, there's various reasons for that. I would suggest you try that. Um, one of the, if you really want to make your neighbors talk, and I haven't done this yet, but going to 45 inch or 60 inch corn, I don't know if you heard of that yet. I'm sure you probably did. That's an idea out there uh, to get your interseeded crops growing. But I will say this right now, that's pretty much only if you would have cattle to put out on them. And I'm assuming you don't. So any people that are listening that want to get a cover crop planted with cattle, that 60 inch corn thing might be ideal. And what I'm going to, I don't have cattle either, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a multi-species rotation in my corn soybean rotation because my land, my problem down in Southeast Iowa is I'm paying hundreds of dollars per acre to the bank for the farm that I bought. It is super expensive. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do two rows of 30 inch corn, then leave a gap of 60. So I'm planting two thirds of the field. I'm still going to have my 36,000 seeds per acre on two thirds of the field. Then I'm going to fly on my cover crop in that 60 inch row with the point being get a better establishment, maybe some diversity in there as well. That way the following year, I'm actually going to harvest that rye or that wheat, that cereal rye, wheat, maybe barley, um, something different. And I'm going to be able to then plant my soybeans right where I had the corn and be able to kind of do a rotation back and forth. Uh, Michael Vitito, a guy I work with back home, he's doing straight 60 inch corn interceding his cover crop into that because he's got cattle but for like zach's idea you know for uh, up north though if i could farm two rows of 30 inch corn then a gap so i've got like 45 inches of corn essentially 45 inches of gap be able to put my cover crop into that and have a little bit of both and not sacrifice any yield which is what the research has been showing so far on wider spacing corn maybe that's an opportunity well, you know, some of these some of these things are kind of, uh, you, you're just going to have to mess around with it. And I think it was key when you said you're just going to try a little bit. I think that's where this is at. But having said that, it's been a, attractive enough that it's worthwhile for some progressive farmers to just to try it a little bit and try to see if we can fine tune this, that it may become competitive, uh, you know, for, for bottom line results by the end of the year. Um, that is kind of, uh, you, you might say, one of the latest... Uh, I guess things we're trying uh, out there with that. Once again, we're talking to Steve Groff via Skype. He's a cover crop coach out in Pennsylvania. I guess if you wanted me to go on some other ideas there for uh, for West Central Minnesota, um, I know you're already pushing shorter season corn, but we have found some genetics uh, even down to 89 days, 93 days here. I'm from southeastern Pennsylvania, and you know, our normal long season corn is 112 day, just to give you a reference. But I've been actually using some shorter varieties that we found some pretty decent genetics um, just to try to get them off the field, you know, a week or so sooner. Doesn't work every year. And again, this is just to try a little bit. I think we're just trying to dance around the fringes here, trying to figure some of this stuff stuff out. My My recommendation for that, if you have any fields, that are are poorer, not as good soil. And you probably don't, but that would be uh, where you would try a shorter season corn uh, if, if that's an option. But uh, I'm going to give you my final suggestion here, uh, and, and you're probably not going to like this, and maybe it doesn't pencil out, but uh, you got to get small grains into your rotation somehow, some way. And maybe growing cereal rye for your neighbors to plant for cover crop may be the answer. I don't know. I don't really know your situation. 
But I'm telling you, small grains opens up the window of opportunity because you get them off in time that you can plant all kinds of stuff, uh, cover crops there late summer. So uh, that I would seriously try to figure out how you could put a field or two of small grains and just and then then see what happens. Well, the yeah, I I mean I don't disagree. That definitely opens up the opportunity for cover crops, but you know it always comes back to the economic factor and and uh, how do you put uh, you know fifty bushel wheat onto an acre where you could grow two hundred and ten bushel corn, and the just the the local economics of it and and trying to work it out. But you know, kind of sticking with the theme of economics, what is out there for programs that can help people out that are interested in getting into cover crops that maybe don't want to take the full hit themselves and, and, and are looking for some help with that. Well, you're going to have to check your, what's the local CSP and then we do have that in Minnesota. Yes. Okay. We've got e- equip program yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, those are the two, the two, the two main programs, equip and CSP. And then sometimes there's local watersheds. Now I was just in Wisconsin two weeks ago and uh, there they have some, what they call lake associations because they had several lakes there that there of course there's there's, there's no lakes in minnesota that wouldn't apply yeah i'm, I'm from minnesota we know all about lake associations <laughs> i i heard that i heard that uh, minnesota is the their, your slogan is landed ten thousand lakes but there's actually fourteen thousand twenty two thousand okay <laughs> there you go so anyway i i don't know you're you're, you're gonna have to check into that some states have programs i never heard that minnesota does but there's some states that have money available uh for for farmers to basically get you know put their dip their toe in the water and and, and try a little bit of cover crops to, to learn how to manage them um i know we we don't have a ton of time with you here steve but a lot of obviously really good resources we know you got stuff online too one of my last questions is you know it yeah, we're seeing some progress. We're seeing some cover crop adoption and whatnot. But what do you think still needs to be done? You know, if it could be done the way that you'd want it to be done, whether that be from a government side or just these big companies and whatnot, obviously, you know, you alluded to there's some progress being made. These companies are getting involved and they're seeing some potential here. And, and maybe there's going to be some economics involved in that. We, we, I sure hope there's going to be. What, what do you think needs to be done throughout all of 2019? Well, you mentioned that you mentioned some of the things there with the with the market and so forth. As far as the the government regulations could either be uh, trying to force farmers to use cover crops. Uh, I certainly don't favor regulations uh, in that regard. I just wish they would loosen things up a little bit because it's stacked. The whole government programs are stacked to corn and soybeans. That's why everybody grows it. You can easily get crop insurance. You get support out there if they would somehow rearrange that a little bit uh they're, they're they're slowly getting better with the cover crop or the, excuse me the uh the insurance the crop insurance thing they're loosening up a little bit to make cover crops a little bit more flexibility and termination and all that stuff but uh i, I say it really comes down to the, the major look at how the government programs are and 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 all this with the price supports and let's let's uh, somehow may incentivize farmers to be able to grow small grains i think that's a key because if, if you could make small grains pay, I guarantee you'd do it. And then you could get your cover crops planted. And then you could start reducing your your, your fertilizers a little bit. And even I can say weed control. Um, you know, so so I do think a major roadblock is our our government programs, the way things are set up. Well, and like right there, you know, just to, to dig into that just a little bit for those that 
you know, might not fully understand what we're talking about with it is right now, if I were to go out there and plant a spring cover crop or do some interseeding or do some things that are different, that might cause my, that might cause me to lose my ability to cash in on insurance. And right now it's so much of a risk because the, the economics are so tight and the bankers are saying, you got to get this figured out that I can't necessarily risk, uh, not, you know, deferring my ability. So we're going to keep chipping away at this. I'm excited about the future. Uh, uh, we're making progress. It, it might not seem like it's fast, but I got to tell you, 15 years ago, I never dreamed that I would be a cover crop coach. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the man that I have is just as much as I can handle. Zach and I never dreamed that we'd be podcast hosts either, but, but here, here we, we are, are. professionals. <laughs> so, so we're moving in the right direction. Uh, of course we all like it to be faster, but, uh, we're moving in the right direction. I'm looking forward to seeing what the next 15 years will bring, and I'm certainly excited for that. Well, that's awesome. We appreciate you being with us here today, Steve. Um, That's Steve Groff, Cover Crop Coach. Why don't you tell the people how they can get in touch with you um, and and let us know, really, if people have more questions for you beyond what we've talked about here today. Yeah, it's simply stevegroff.com. I just got a a new website, that, and you can everything I do can be accessed off that. So stevegroff.com, check it out, and... uh, you know, let's work together and uh, trying to get more cover crops, soil health out there. Love it. That's Groff, G-R-O-F-F, for everybody looking yes. that up. Again, that's Steve Groff, a cover crop coach out in Pennsylvania. We were talking to him today via Skype. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Keep chugging along, fighting the good fight out there out east, and uh, we will keep being cold up here in Minnesota. <laughs> you too. Okay, we'll see you. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Have a good one. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another exciting episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. Thanks to everybody who helps to make this happen, especially Amy Baxter, Amy Scotchus Cole, Dan Ackerman, Todd Melby, Ayanna Esters, Lauren Humpert, Laura Doherty, Dom DeFurio, and Jeff Thompson. Johnny Vince Evans wrote our theme song and performed it with Corey Schreppel. Thanks for all the engineering and technical support that we got from the folks at American Public Media. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Also go to fieldworktalk.org to see the other places you can follow us, including at Fieldwork Talk on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm Zach Johnson. I'm Mitchell Hora. Who put the question mark? Who makes these scripts? This is why we can't follow the script. Who put the question mark on the (laughs) teleprompter? Well, enough of that. No more scripts. We're going to keep it unscripted here going forward. Join us next time on the Fiddler Podcast.